Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask what moves us or more accurately what's going to move us in future. With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Hi Liam. Hi Johanna. What have you been up to? Um, what have I been up to? Well, I'm sitting at home because there's a tube strike today, so I didn't really want to battle with going in. I could have cycled, but then no one else is coming in because there's a tube strike. So what is it? It's the 3rd of March today. 3rd of March. How, how long is the tube strike for? Tuesday and today, Thursday. So hopefully finished by tomorrow. Yeah. Hopefully. I see there's going to be more. Uh, yes, I suspect there will be more. Can't make too many comments on that, I suppose. <laughs> Divisive <laughs> I comments. <laughs> I suspect there will be more. Um, Who knows? It's just the timing is a little bit unfortunate because everyone was just about to get back, just getting back to a routine. Yes, it's interesting, but, isn't it? But yes. Oh well. So, what's been happening in your world of rail over the last? What have you got to tell us? Share with us. I haven't. So we I mean, saw I you last week, didn't we? You in London? I, I just said I haven't really got anything to say. So obviously I was in. That's <laughs> great for a I mean, obviously, obviously for you, <laughs> but but not for but not but not for people listening. We we were in we were in London last week. You are in London. I came from Scotland down to London because we went yeah. to the Rail Business Awards. And why were we at the Rail Business Awards? Uh, we were there because one big circle, a member of the Rail Innovation Group. Uh, was nominated and effectively won the Supplier of the Year Award. <laughs> Congratulations so, to Emily and the team. Yes. Good night had by all. Did you have a good night? I did have a good night. Can you remember all your night? I can remember the night. And, and also, um, I'm not going to say anything about the awful hotel I stayed at. And then the next <laughs> day, I went to the, the um, first... Um, Railway Industry Association parliamentary reception. Well, we uh, get to hobnob with the with the top level for the fir- for the first time since the pandemic. So that was that was good fun to also again be in person and see people that I haven't seen probably since the last parliamentary reception in twenty twenty. So that no. so that was good. But, but um, it was it was a bit unfortunate though that uh, many people, including the. Um, the transport minister could not attend because they were debating the um, sad events that are happening in Ukraine at the moment at the same time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they understandable. I just noticed it was, for me, it was the first obviously big awards event that I'd been to for obviously two years. And it was just so interesting how within 20 seconds, we were discussing ideas and problems and solutions to people we knew. And it's just all this ad hoc, well, effectively it's development cool. and network building was just happening just organically so quickly and just been stymied so much over the last two years. Yeah, well, well, I guess that's just, I think it must be something to do with the way the brain works or something because we're just programmed to find ways to do things better and to forget bad things that have happened like the last two years. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> never happened. It was a dream. It's all a dream. Well, I think. Well, I think if we didn't move on, we'd never. We would never. 
we would never go forward we'd just always be psychologically scarred so i think there must be something in the human brain that just makes us move forward yeah Right, so we are discussing today, we will go over to our interview in a second, but we met with our newest member. Uh, we recorded the interview earlier, which is why we can say it now. But we met with our newest member, um, which is Amigda Labs, and we had a lovely chat with Faizan, Faizan Patanka. So we can hear that in a second. Any prompts for us to listen out for, Johanna? You've put me on the spot now. I love doing that. <laughs> Tell us so, a keyword to listen out for. Um, I think behaviour and language. Behaviour and language, right. Let's go to it. So thank you for joining us today, Faizan. If you could just uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. Well, thanks so much, Liam. Um, hi, everyone. Faizan here, CEO and co-founder of Amikta. Um, and Amikta is a fast-growing tech startup based out of Derby, uh, focusing in the transport industry. Right. Brilliant. And you are our latest, newest, most exciting member of this year. So thank you for joining the group. Uh, first of all, I was hoping to just ask, what were you, what, well, I guess, what brought you into the community? Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, the rail innovation group and the larger rail industry itself is, is something that, you know, as an engineer, I've always been interested in. Both me and my co-founder, we although we spent you know close to a decade in the aerospace industry, rail was the uh, industry from a sustainability perspective, but also from what innovation was was going on. Um, as we moved into the rail industry, you know, Rail Innovation Group was one of the communities we always looked at from outside, right? And we felt like, wow, one day wouldn't it be nice if we became part of this community? Uh, we didn't think we had enough knowledge at the time to be part of this community. Uh, and, and so after, you know, working in the industry for 12 months, speaking to, you know, lots of engineers, you know, young engineers in, in, in the uh, businesses of our, our customers itself, you know, we decided that we were confident enough to be part of the rail innovation group. That is honestly, for 12 months, we were looking at joining, but we just didn't have that confidence then. Wow. Okay. Uh, that is, well, it's very nice to hear. Um, welcome. I I'm glad that you did come to I, us. <laughs> I, I, I think that's an interesting insight as well, that you're, you've come from aerospace into rail, but you didn't have the confidence to come into rail. Um, and the fact that you didn't think you had enough experience. So, um, why did you why did you perceive those barriers? Yeah, great question. And I think, I mean, a lot of those were probably you know subconscious uh, behaviors that exist, right? Uh, you get you get comfortable in your own industry, and then you think you know uh, different equipment and practices could be different. For example. We, we sometimes forget that engineering and the laws of, 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 of physics and everything else, you know, applies equally across all the different industries. Um, and then what's changed is the practices and the behaviors that people have introduced, right? And I'm pretty sure if somebody wanted to go from rail into aerospace, they would notice this as well. But looking at rail from outside in, it appears to be this large mass of, of people, you know, 
who uh, are set in doing things a certain way and is very much driven by large organizations uh, driving things in, right? So I don't remember the last time somebody said, hey, you know, this is the Uber of the rail industry, or there's a new startup, you know, called Google in the rail industry, for example. Um, you'd be surprised how many uh, innovative projects uh, we have seen and we thought, you know, why wow, wouldn't it be nice in the rail industry? But then you realize that, okay, this is going to be a long engagement cycle. Um, yeah. So, so, so the, yeah, those are, those are some of the views that... Yes. Uh, well, that's, it's, it's fascinating to hear that from the outside. Um, as a new entrant, that those are the things you're perceiving. I can see Johanna writing notes there, so I think it's something for us to uh, consider afterwards and how we. I'm thinking of a question for later. Help. I don't. Right, I don't then. want to. I don't <laughs> want to sort of like you know, upset, upset the flow of the, of the of where we're going to take take, take our ex, our discussion today. But I want to sort of like explore that later on in our conversation about where the Google Uber of the rail industry is. Right. <laughs> oh, it might be Amigda. So uh, I have to ask, where does the name Amigda come from? Uh, yeah, so Amigda um, comes from the word amygdala. So amygdala is a tiny part of the brain, you know, which is at the back of your brain, really back of your head. You know, it's a tiny uh, piece of your brain that does the decision making and helps us as not as humans, but generally as, as amphibians. Right. So this is one part of the brain that's in humans, in animals and other things that actually helps you realize what decision should I make? You know, if you touched a hot pot of milk, the next time you go near it, the way you realize that this is going to be, you know, not a nice feeling is because amygdala is sending that pulse. Saying so the last time you were around here, you know. And and so presumably your solution comes, was your solution inspired that or did you, was the solution inspired by your knowledge of sounds like biology quite well? Um, or did you go around hunting for a, a precise way of describing what your solution is? <laughs> yeah, this is, I guess, the, uh, the fun part of being in a startup, right? Uh, so once you uh, solve, uh, once you figure out the problem you want to solve, the next two things you're doing is finding the right name and then the domain name for it. So I, I won't yeah. lie, we did, we did spend five hours at the start of, of uh, setting up Amicta as to yeah. what name we should have. Uh, and then realized that there were people who've already taken a lot of the good names. Uh, yeah, we, we, we settled on Amicta because we wanted something that, uh, you know, helps people just get the idea of decision-making. I think it, one out of 10 people actually get it straight away. So give us a flavor of what you actually have been working on and what you're offering. Yeah, so um, Amigda is a data observability platform, right? Um, what that really means is we're focusing on, on decision support for, for the rail and aerospace industry who own and operate quite expensive machines, right? But they haven't been operated to, um, to the level that we think is, is efficient. So for example, what we notice uh, coming, you know, narrowing it down to the rail industry itself is that there's a huge industry of, you know, uh, lessers who, you know, own a lot of stock, um, but and and have, you know, a lot of data that that they receive, but they aren't really extracting much value from that data itself. 
right? Um, and then even you know, imagine when delays happen due to engine engine breakdowns or or the whole delay minute criteria that's set, that's pretty disruptive for customer, right? Now, any machine that is sending data, you could actually forecast what's going to happen with this machine. Well, the challenge is that mostly these projects are being driven by OEMs, right? Now, imagine you're a customer, uh, you know, a rail train operator, you actually own equipment from multiple different OEMs. So what do you do? Do you log into 12, 15, 20 different platforms to find what's happening with your operations? No. So what Amigda is helping do is bringing the data from different equipment irrespective of where it's generated, you know, and then apply machine learning algorithms that build patterns to say, hey, last time this pattern was seen, it led to you know, some specific maintenance. And then what we do is essentially you know, uh, look at that data or observe that data continuously to find next time that this pattern is seen, let's send fleet engineers and maintenance teams the specific advice that they need to go do some relevant maintenance. Um, what we are hoping is that the rail industry, as other industries as well, right, transition away from time-based maintenance, which is you know embedding your resources to go do maintenance simply because when the when the train was bought 15 years ago, said you should do it this way. Well, why are we still following what happened 15 years ago? And and what the pandemic did is constrain the amount of resources that could be you know utilized. In, yeah. in this period. Uh, so that also helped people realize that actually, you know, when there are constraints, maintenance can get smarter. Um, and, and, and that's what we're bringing into the rail uh, industry. So. so you presumably had this solution up and running in the aviation industry. And then I'm gesticulating, but now the listeners will be able to see that I'm gesticulating. But um, you had it up in the aviation industry. Uh, and then you looked across into the rail sector, but had, were you aware of any competitors in rail before you came into rail? Um, yeah, that's right. So we, we were set up in the aviation industry and, uh, you know, even in the aviation industry, you know, there are, there are OEMs who, who offer these services, right? So when we started exploring with other industries, rail really stood out. And I think rail stood out for a couple of reasons. One is even... Uh, well, when I say even, you know, this is looking at 2019, right? And early 2020, just before the pandemic, well, just before the lockdown started. Yeah. We noticed that there was a lot of digitalization ahead. Uh, well, there was a lot of digitalization which lied in front of rail. It wasn't completely digitalized or digitized when it comes to infrastructure and other things. Uh, we also noticed that, you know, Although rail was doing pretty well on the sustainability element uh, when it comes to freight and uh, you know power consumptions and things like that, that in comparison to aerospace was good because that's the benchmark we were looking at. But then we were also engaging with the freight industry in uh, you know road-based freight, right? And you know the, the the innovations that are going on there when we think about the autonomous uh, autonomous well pickup vans and and delivery vans that are being worked on. When we think about the electrification element in there, we notice that in this decade, there will become a point where the freight industry is way more sustainable than, than aviation and the rail industry again, from those perspectives. So we thought, okay, well, you know, how might we be able to help 
the rail industry get better at you know reducing their costs. Uh, it just so happens that the whole rail review was going on, and there was a lot more focus on customer experience. Um, you would not believe this, Liam, but when we speak to investors in the city, right? Um, for them, it's like it's normal that there are delays in the rail industry. They wouldn't even fund projects to reduce delays because they feel that's such a that's a behavior that's embedded. And we we explicitly didn't didn't agree with that. Um, right. So I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say it's an embedded behavior. <laughs> Seems, think, it's yeah. an interesting, it's just quite interesting to hear this all from people who are new to the industry. I would, I would uh, disagree with your thoughts on that, Liam. <laughs> I don't think it's I behavior, would, I just think it's a, I don't know. No, but I think it's, um, I'm, go, I'm, go, I'm, go, I'm going to um, sort of like in, interrupt flow there because um, I think the whole target measurement system does um, embed, um, delays into the system because if your target is 94% on time then that's all you're going to focus on is being on time 94% whereas if your target was 100% as it would be in say Japan then that's what you focus your effort on so so because basically I think from a policy point of view um, we can't afford a railway that delivers 100% on time because it costs too much to achieve it. So now I'm going to bring it back to the conversation of the product, because presumably a product like this could help achieve 100% on time and make it more affordable. Yes, I mean, that's, that's the aim, right? Um, and if we, if we didn't set out to do that, Johanna, we would uh, we'd be lying to ourselves, you know, that we're just here for incremental improvements. We're really here to say, you know, well, how, what would it take to get to that, you know, near hundred percent? Just, just a, just a point on stats, right? Uh, because this, this point comes up in a, in a, in a lot of different industries as well. When it comes to safety, right? People want things to be safe to ninety nine point nine percent or ninety nine point seven percent. If you say actually, you know, we want things to be as safe as ninety nine percent, we're talking about you know hundreds more lives lost in accidents. That's the difference between 99.7 and 99%. But when it comes to anything apart from safety, you know, people just deprioritize, you know, customer experience, they deprioritize punctuality, they deprioritize reliability. Um, so I think um, the, the question of cost is, is interesting uh, and, and relevant, but if we bring it back to saying, you know, at some point, a lot of these delays if you don't get to the root cause, could lead to safety issues. And then suddenly you realize that actually 94%, we're talking about thousands of you know, lives being affected. Um, so yeah, there you go. I think that's always my argument when people say, oh, 95% accuracy is great. Well, then why is 95% safety not great? It's a, it is because it, it's, it's actually quite mind-blowing really to think of that, that yeah, because that's why I, I disagreed with you, Liam, saying that it's not behaviour and the fact that we have, you know, um, since privatisation baked in this, you know, it's acceptable to, own, to you know, to have this 5% failure rate. And one of the reasons why I, I said that was because I, I can't remember 
remember what the exact percentage was, but it was when I was working um, on the Greater Anglia franchise bidding process. And we did a focus group with some people that did not use rail and we were exploring why they didn't use rail. And one of the data sets that we showed them was the, the performance measures for the Anglia franchise, which I think at the time was around about 80%, which is pretty low anyway. And, and it's always sort of like, you know, put as something, you know, as being something positive. And, and somebody very clearly articulated, said, yeah, but one in five trains are late. And I think that's, yeah, and that was somebody who doesn't, you know, who chose not to travel to rail. And I think that's, you, you have to almost turn things around. And I think, and I think that's almost the problem with rail is, and I think bringing back to your first point about almost it feeling like a closed shop that you didn't have enough experience is that um, maybe we don't look out, outside of rail enough for other, you know, through other lenses to actually look at what the problems are and how they can be solved. So I think it's yeah. refreshing to hear a different viewpoint from that point of view. Great, I agree. So, I mean, if if our membership is not up for review after this call, I'll consider ourselves lucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my colleague Arlinda will not be happy, you know, if after all this. <laughs> Look, we're gonna review. This. No, we like to challenge. We want to hear those challenge. So I had a question of. Uh, so you have been act how long have you actively been working in rail then 12 months yes and 12 months, yeah how have you found your engagement with the industry um yeah it's been it's been pretty good right uh we're, we're engaged with uh with the rail uh lesser and you know um a large contractor as well i think because ultimately the industry is driven by people you know and the behaviors of people itself have been pretty cool uh honestly pretty good to, to experience um when we started there was there was you know in the rail industry a little bit of friction about hey you know do you guys don't understand rail etc etc but as we kept talking more and more um i think we came to the realization that you know we started engaging in rail in the middle of a pandemic people had a lot of other things on their heads as well at the time you know there was it wasn't the, the cleanest period, to be honest, to, to talk to somebody you've never ever spoken to and then think about future. Um, we, we can't ignore that fact, but it's been, it's been great. We are finding so much more about you know, what's to come. Uh, when we think about the reviews and things, everything looks positive. If those things you know, uh, happen, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll help do some of those things. But even without us, any project that helps deliver on those things, Liam, it's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, and then when you add in all of the, the work that's happening around, you know, uh, converting, converting the assets into, into electrification, uh, when we think about not just people, but also, you know, as, as you guys did the initiative of, you know, parcels as people. Parcels uh, as passengers. Yes, parcels as passengers. Yeah. Parcels of people sounds crazy. <laughs> you know, uh, Maybe we've missed something there. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that's very sinister. Uh, but yeah, parcels as passengers. Um, then when we think about, you know, I mean, autonomy will will touch this this industry as well, right? It, in those directions, everything is pointing in a very good direction. Now it comes down to can we as as members, right, and as stakeholders deliver on those things. Right. So 
I was going to ask is when you, to help further engagement, it how, I guess, have you had to change approach as you've learned more about engaging with rail? Have you sort of thought about different ways of quantifying the benefit of using a decision support tool? Or have you had to explain it in a different way because you're speaking to a rail client, not a aviation client? Um, so when we started, we, we, we decided to mold ourselves in the rail industry, right? Explain, well, for, as you can imagine, first thing was we had to learn the language itself. People underestimate, you know, how much uh, effect language has in different things. It, you know, um, questions like, oh, you know, in the rail, you don't need to be as safe as aerospace. I, I actually heard this from somebody. Thankfully, you know, we don't work with them as a customer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't even, you know, regret not working with them as a, as, as a customer. But, you know, a rail doesn't need to be as safe as aerospace. And it's like, well, as an engineer, forget the fact that I'm a business owner, but as an engineer, you know, I, I, I would give, a, give up if I ever heard that, that thing. Well, also, as a passenger. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, as, as a passenger uh, as well. Um, but this is very core to engineering, right? You need to make things as safe as possible. And, and that's a dereliction of your duty. So, you know, when, when we you know, encountered those attitudes, we, we had a dilemma. Is it, is it that we are being just too, too safe? Uh, do we not understand that maybe things just fail and it's okay and that that, that behavior is cool? Uh, and we, we tried to be a bit open about, you know, taking those things on board and then pretty much, you know, uh, shut that down. We realized that, you know, we, we exist because we believe in certain values. We believe in, in, in the safety element. We believe in, you know, making use of your data, but in a very safe manner. Um, so we went back to our roots. So now when we are validating in the rate, it, it's taking time with our customer to help them understand, you know, this is why we do things a certain way, but we are making inroads. So slow, but that's for no fault of anyone apart from this is new in some instances. Yeah. Wow. I think it's interesting you mentioned about your values I mean, I, and your must be something to do with your personal values and your business values. I mean, like, how are you finding, you know, um, sort of like the values of the rail industry and how, how that conflicts again against your own? Because you say sort of like um, you're, um, you're making inroads, but um, are, are you finding a lot of conflict or, or are you finding that, the, the, the clients that you're working with you're taking them on that journey as well and you're you're opening their eyes too to the possibilities the the clients we're working with we're definitely uh on a journey and together there are elements Joanna, that we've had to learn as well right as a as a business but ultimately we've come to the realization that things that we know we're good at you know we'll bring people on that journey to help them understand where we need to strengthen, we will. So, you know, we are dealing with not just clients, but also, you know, folks who spend their time in the rail industry and now have maybe, you know, say either, either you know, retired or, or, you know, are doing other things to understand where, where the industry is, is, is coming from, right? Where some of these things are happening. Um, when we think we, we clash against somebody who... When we think we clash against somebody where um, there is an element of our values don't align, 
we, we, we try not to you know, take, take that further because we fundamentally believe, if you look at all the members of the Rail Innovation Group, right? Nobody is there because they want to have status quo. Everyone is there to, to, to challenge and do things differently because we believe that there's a different way of doing things. So yeah, I think we just have to take the people who are ready to change on board uh, and those who aren't, you know, some of them will, it'll take time. Yes. That's so interesting. Are, are, are you starting to see any benefits, um, both to yourselves in terms of that approach, but also in terms of benefits that are being delivered to, to the rail industry as a result of your product? Uh, I think our, our customers would probably be the best uh, people to ask that question. But, you know, from our perspective, yes, we, we are definitely getting positive feedback. Um, they, you know, tangibly, you can see the results. I Previously, what you know, couldn't be forecasted or previously where, where there were delay minutes, you know, due to a train, although that delay minute, you know, functionality in the future might look different. The idea is what disruption was happening before can in the future be prevented, right, by better forecasting. And, and this is done by use, utilizing historical data and almost simulating it to say, you know, if this was a real scenario now, what would happen in, with the maintenance teams? And what we're finding, you know, in, in one case, uh, you know, more than 60% of the disruption can be reduced, right? Now that's right. a tangible benefit that we, you know, we are looking forward to how things change and, and that's embedded. Um, imagine if people didn't sell trains, imagine if people didn't, you know, say, yeah, I'm going to pay X for this train each month, but rather did what aerospace companies do saying, I'll only pay you for the time that I utilize this train. Now, suddenly the incentive is to make sure that the train ha trains have pretty good availability, maintenance is done to a pretty high quality. So things like repeat breakdowns don't happen, right? And there's a lot more integration within the rail industry itself. So, uh, so I, won't, I, won't, you know, I won't shy away from the fact that, that incentives have to be looked at, you know, uh, as to what's, what's the key thing, because we can't continue, well, we believe that rail industry can't continuously keep having, you know, new fleets coming into service. And what do you do with, with the equipment that is still, still has remaining useful life? Well, because it's five years old, we're going to scrap it. Well, so we want to be green and then we're taking perfectly good equipment and then checking it out. It doesn't add up. So what, so what would you do then? What would, what would be your answer to those questions? Yeah, so I think, I think it's a two-phase answer, right? One is, you know, retrofitting has to happen. Uh, you know, it, in aerospace, equipment goes on for 35 years, and some of it has been going on for even longer. The reason that they move to new equipment is fuel efficiency, right? And, you know, making that improvements. When we think about rail, this, this fascination with changing fleets every five years is uh, it's very curious. I, I yeah, that's quite. It's quite a recent phenomenon changing fleets all the time because I'm mean, if you I'm mean, I'm in um, North Scotland. Um, so if you think um, I mean, until recently the um, high speed trains would have been one of the most frequent types of stock to have used, and and they would have been in use for what 40, 45 years. And they've, yeah. they've now all been replaced by the Hitachi Azuma trains or, or, or um, some other cascade case 
did stop but um i think um they probably could have gone on for another 40 years but um i think um maybe it's because customers have have wanted to see um newer rolling stock i don't i mean i I don't because we talked about rolling, I'm uh, not rolling stock, um, customer experience at the beginning of it. And I think maybe there is a perception of better quality if you have new. I don't know. Well, and safer. Safe. Um, I don't, I mean, like I wouldn't have said that the high speed train fleet was unsafe. <laughs> um, I think, I, think it, I think it had quite a good record. I think it had quite a good reliability record. I think yeah, if you some if you look at the passenger experience, I mean, like some people talk about the compass of seats nowadays. And um, I think um, older trains certainly had more comfortable seats, I think, um, but they didn't necessarily um, come up because I think the answer to sort of like the comfort of seats is always comes up against um, the safety question because they comply to a higher standard of crash swerviness or fire safety standards and things like that because the standards are different um but i think also financing is different now and i think you're know, bringing back to you know your earlier um comment about you know people in the city and their perception of behavior yeah well, i think you know financing of new rolling stock has become easier than older rolling stock yeah so in, yeah. and that, that again comes back to your incentives you know, for, for what you put put in the contracts and things. But I guess it's it's a related point in that a new train is more predictable. And so if you're lending money on it, it's an easier to understand risk than trying to maintain an older stock. Um, it's... You, 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 it would appear that that's the train of thought, right? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say something which, if you know, it might not be the most popular opinion. Um, every time you introduce a new product into the market for the first eighteen months, there'll be more failures on that product than you know a product that's already working for five years, for example. Yeah. Because in in engineering terms, you have the bathtub curve, right? At the start of the journey life of a product, there's a lot of failures, then it stabilizes because you iron out those issues as it's running in service. Things don't need to be maintained as long as they are maintained. Nobody will accept this, and I don't know why, but there's an issue of over-maintenance. When you have a perfectly working asset, train, rolling stock, equipment, signal, track, anything, we have this habit from the OEMs that say every two weeks or every 30 days, go and do some maintenance. But what do you think happens to an equipment when you constantly go touch it and fiddle with it? When, it, when it's built, it's built by machines that have a tolerance of less than 1%. So we destroy that when we as humans go and touch those things often in, in the pressure of time scales to say, actually, within four hours, I need to turn this thing around. Well, what do you think happens? You, you destroy the very quality that it's built with. So, you know, this, this degradation within five years of equipment would not be there, you know, and, and that safety profile would not reduce if, if, if OEMs didn't force companies to go and constantly do the maintenance. This isn't a real issue, by the way. This happens across everything. Yeah. You see that that's um, 
Uh, it's it interesting because because of course yeah we, it comes back to incentives and and flows and things like that isn't it because particularly if you look at rolling stock and recent rolling stock procurement because much of it is has been run out of government so you know the procurement is run out of government they want to be assured on risk and availability and then it's yeah and then it's passed off onto a contract to a franchise operator if we're focusing on on rolling stock so that's you know that's how you measure it because we're obsessed with the targets and the incentives and everything so you can't you can't in a contract it makes it very difficult to say um you maintain it when it needs maintaining whereas it's a lot easier to put in well when it's done fifty thousand miles you do this type of maintenance so there's kind of there's a mixture there of um government policy in terms of how they specify contracts or procurements and also um historical rail knowledge because that's probably how we did it under the victorian era or something so i'd be so i'd be interested how would you move that debate along and yeah you know, and, I, and i kind of want to bring it back to that original question or that original point that you raised about where are the Googles and the Ubers of the rail industry because this sounds ripe for that doesn't it to challenge this um, type of activity if fiddling by humans makes performance worse shouldn't we be moving that dial yeah and 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 I think I think when it comes to when it comes to these things, right, um, we are, you know, as, as, as Amigda, we believe two things are likely to happen. And as any startup, that's what we do, right? We, we take these, uh, we take these, uh, we, we try to super forecast what, what's likely to happen. One is there might be new entrants who enter the market with the availability as a service business model, right? Which is actually, you know, we are being paid for the availability of a train i.e. That, that asset is available for you to transport goods or, or, or people. And the whole insurance, maintenance, uh, and operational costs are, are embedded within one single cost, right? The cost savings there is if you can predict and if you can monitor the health of your asset, you reduce your insurance costs because you actually know the risk that you're carrying much better. So you didn't need to do you know, a lot of overpayments. It's kind of what Vitality, for example, did with you know uh, uh, health insurance, personal health insurance, right? It's saying, hey, we'll, we'll give you personal health insurance, but you need to, you know, you, you get an Apple Watch as well with it, so we can see how that profile is is changing. I do believe that you know there will be folks who, with enough financing, could actually enter the market in a way to say, we'll buy the trains and we'll work it on a availability as a service business model. You know, and then nobody cares about digitalization except the company that that has un is underwriting the risk. The the second thing is, you know, there already are leasing companies that exist today that could potentially try to change their business models, right? To say, hey, we we might take ownership of 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 the maintenance aspects. We might take ownership of you know making trains available, for example. And they have a huge benefit over OEMs because they have equipment from many different OEMs, right? Um, if, you are, if you are one particular OEM, you can predict what's going to happen with your machines, with your uh, trains. 
as soon as you go across a, a, a train operating company or a rail leasing company, you have trains from two, three different suppliers, right? So you yeah. actually have more data than the manufacturer itself. So you, you know, you, you can you can disrupt it. I mean, the, the players who can disrupt it are there. I think what's uh, what needs to be there is a little bit more confidence around that the digital technologies exist and there are companies who can help them do it. So, you know, Amazon, Google, and the likes, they build themselves, but then they also help bring the platform to, to different companies who could try and go, you know, build on top of. Yeah. And that's what Amigda is trying to do. You know, we're not coming in saying we know rail industry better than anyone. We're saying we know our digital tech and, and how that can be utilized in engineering domain very, very well. Who are the stakeholders who, who, who want to experiment, you know, and innovate with, with the business model? Yeah. This I think it's fascinating. It's a, the point of that it, it you also need you basically need a first mover to sort of shift that to that model. Because at the moment, obviously everything's uh, things are more stuck in a traditional way of doing contracting and the way we split up the industry. So if you were going to have a company that does that, the company needs to come on and take a lot of risk up front to do that. And obviously, therefore, they need to be a very have big pockets. Yes, uh, and this is where you know companies like like Amigda and others could uh, have have some advantage because we don't have that that luggage or, or, or any barriers to to not experiment, right? So, for example, one of the things we're trying is uh, we are in discussions with insurance companies, right, to say what is the effect of you know uh, good analytics and and digitalization of assets in the reinsurance market. You know, could we build uh, could we build a, a product which is not an analytics product? Behind the scenes, it's analytics, but on the face of it is an insurance product, which means when companies buy uh, Amigda system, they get the peace of mind that the trains will be well maintained. So you see what you're doing is you're, you're kind of shifting the risk that if it isn't, then there's a there's a payout, right? Um, yeah. And you think, well, how is a tiny company like Amigda? ever going to do that but the point is we don't need to do it on ourselves you know we we can build an ecosystem of partners around us including insurance companies where if we can prove out that forecasting can be done better if we can prove out that between the 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 train operator and amygda and a maintenance partner you know things can be joined up and the information flow is good then the insurance company will back it you know yeah so these experiments are, are, are coming, you know, uh, we, we're definitely bringing them in to the rail industry, but it's, it's these small things which will ultimately lead to that, that big disruption. I don't think we will come in with saying, you know, actually we've got $2 billion in backing to, to change the industry. Yeah. You know, that's in fact the defense of the industry right now, that to disrupt this industry, you need a huge amount of financial backing. Yes. Yeah, so it's a very, very big barrier to change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is very well basically thank you for coming and challenging the rail industry and bringing a new insight into it um, I wanted to ask well maybe finish off by asking what is your request of the industry that you've come into now um, so I think I think the request is you know thanks for thanks for taking you know Amigda on board there are many more companies like Amigda who are waiting in who are waiting to enter the industry. 
I think, uh, you know, communities like the Rail Innovation Group, but, but also the rest of the operators, you know, OEMs and, and, and the government as well, you know, since they are a key stakeholder in this, have to think about ways of not just saying, you know, we need to work with SMEs, but have some concrete plans, programs, you know, and, and almost a corridor to say, you know, this is where, where the entrance can come in. The government has already done this with uh, banking, right? The whole open banking system, the ability to have the, the sandpit to try things out. These have been made available and you can see yourself, you know, the amazing things within 10 years that have happened in the banking industry. Uh, yeah. and UK has kind of leapfrogged Europe and US in that. We now have the chance to do that with rail. So yeah, let's be aggressive, right. push, push, push. Brilliant. All right. Faizan, thank you very much for your time. And we look forward to working with Amigda going forward at our next events. Thanks so much. Really thank you. Really thought-provoking. Thank you. I thought probably that's one of the most interesting podcasts I've done for a long time. <laughs> Dramatic pause in there. <laughs> no, because I was I've I've written down so many notes as as we were talking about yeah. um I mean uh, notwithstanding you know the where is the uber google of the rail industry because i think it's always an interesting question that one because you know and particularly because we have this theme of safety as well is yeah and the conclusion at the end about you know banking has already done this you know and one of the things that struck me as you say that and almost like um you know the um, I don't want to use the word arrogance, but arrogance of the rail industry, that you'll always get that answer, but banking won't kill people. Well, and then, and I was kind of thinking this, you know, as, 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 as we were talking about this, and I kind of thought, yes, but we don't see banking kill people. It might do, we just don't see it. <laughs> yeah, so, so that kind of struck me. But then I also, but, you know, following on from that, just um, the whole, you know, thing about values and behaviour and language. Yeah, well, I just thought, you know, how interesting that is to a new entrant and how these, you know, um, can act as barriers to innovation, not just to new companies coming in, but to, you know, some of the older, more established companies innovating. Yes, I particularly thought, uh, yes, we pretty much just bluntly said that he had to learn the language to start dealing with rail clients and other rail industry people so i thought that was interesting and then i thought particularly this whole the whole thing about maintenance and reliability in terms of how comes we accept 95 percent performance but we don't accept 95 percent safety so it's obviously it's a mindset that well i think i'm sure it's a balance based on very a lot of different factors but just being challenged as to how comes you accept that particular random statistic of reliability um is worth thinking about but that is that is worth thinking about because also i think between different um industries as well because um whilst aerospace and rail may be different in terms of safety both would say that it is unacceptable to um to have any safety incidents that would you know put people at risk Yet, if you were to say compare highways, because maybe there's a, something because we're all individually in control of, of 
vehicles and things is we find acceptable that um i don't know what the latest figures are do 1700 people a year die on roads approximately but we find yes. that an acceptable figure but could you imagine if we killed 1700 people a year on rail well it'd be a much higher proportion because there's much fewer people using yeah. rail <laughs> but it would certainly but it would certainly be a crisis wouldn't it yeah yeah it would it's just yeah it's perceptions isn't it yeah so so language and behavior are really important elements aren't they yes Yes. Uh, and finally, yes, very encouraging for being a member of the Rail Innovation Group. Particularly, also, I would like to draw the link to um, when I was asking Faisal at the end about how they were succeeding and how they're engaging with rail, he mentioned an ecosystem of partners. Partnerships, partnerships. Building a yes. network. The way Building to go. Building a network. I also like the idea of um, maybe working with the Department of Transport to produce a corridor and to get more innovation into rail. Uh, yes, I hate to say that I think that that's been tried many, many times, but at least we're the front door. We're the front door that you can ring the doorbell and we'll at least allow you a foot in the door um, before you then work out which route you're going to go into. So uh, talking of networking, what events have we got coming up? Um, next week, um, the 9th of March, we are with Solverboard and we're going to be um, looking at their um, innovation product and we're going to be having a little play in a webinar, in a little munch play and learn. in a webinar. And I get to do the fun one, the next uh, networking meetup slash social is on the 16th of March. So that'll be in London for anyone who's around. And who's coming to that? Everyone. Everyone. Be there or be circular. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there making my wonderful puns. Um, will you be there? I won't. I have to stay in Scotland and right. nurse the recovery of my husband. Oh. And are you going to be joining us? Ah, 22nd of March, the Innovation and Rail Conference. In your calendar? What yes, <laughs> definitely, you'll be there. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you're obviously not in the cool kids. No, I'm anyway, obviously not in the cool kids. I'm in the grown-up kids. <laughs> let's sign off before we descend into more strange playground. Right. <laughs> Good to see you again, and we'll chat soon. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Moves Us. We hope we moved you. For more episodes, you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel. Until next time. <laughs>